Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Know to Grow podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ivan Khan. I'll be breaking down topics around education, growth, and culture with the intention to help your own growth journeys. For those not familiar with our hosting organization, Constitutorial, I serve as a CEO, and we serve kids K-12 in supplemental education centers throughout New York City. One of the unique privileges of my work is the opportunity to really know the various communities that our team serves and discover the various challenges the students face within themselves, their families, and overall community systems. Today, I'm joined by a very, very special artist and dancer, Zihan Wazad. Before I even graduated from Stuyvesant High School, Zihan was a champion dancer and a prolific graffiti artist among NYC's radical underground community. His work has been featured in publications such as Vice and Hypebeast, and he's performed internationally with esteemed modern dance comp- competitions, including um, with other fellow artists, including Martha Graham, and in Broadway productions like Illuminate. Today, Zihan's major solo exhibition, Reality Show, displays his new work in painting, sculpture, and creative new media, including a series of paintings activated by augmented reality. So for a very, very special episode, we are here live at the ABXY Gallery in Lower East Side. Zihan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for hosting us today. Hey, Ivan. How's it going? Thank you for having me on your show. We are well. We got the whole team out here at Lower East Side. It's a little field trip. How has the exhibition gone? We're sitting at the gallery with all surrounded by your incredible artwork. Uh, it's been a surreal experience, as always. This is my second time doing this show here. Uh, I'm always just grateful just to be showing in New York City, you know? Um, I never take for granted how amazing the city is, and just, yeah, there's so much going on here. So, like, you know, if you can do it here, you can do it anywhere, so. I love it. And we have a very uh, New York City-heavy audience. we got, you know, listeners from Australia, India, UK, but vast majority of New York City, and you did grow up here. Tell us about your childhood and any of your experiences. Uh, okay, yeah, sure. So uh, I actually was born in Libya, then I was in Bangladesh for like about a year or less, and then I came to uh, New York when I was about two, two, three years old. I was, yeah, so uh, pretty much grew up here uh, in Jamaica, Queens, wow. and uh, I mean, then I lived in the Lower East Side when I got older, and then I'm back now in Astoria, actually, and uh, I, I love Queens. Uh, yeah, I'm Queens kid, so. <laughs> we got a room full of Queens heads over here. I know you were really young when you arrived, so you probably have very, you know, don't have too many memories of Libya or Bangladesh. What was growing up in Jamaica, Queens like since, you know, since you were a child? Um, well, it's interesting. I mean, now there's a big Bangladeshi community there. When we first arrived, there wasn't so much of a yeah. Bangladeshi community there. Um, and my dad's been very involved with the Bangladeshi community. He runs like the Weekly Bangladesh and has just been developing, like he's been very immersed in that community. Shout out to um, watching that film. You can the <laughs> what's the corner, what's the scene on Homeland Highland, all <laughs> y'all who don't know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, I've always been, you know, it's, I've been always immersed in that, uh, uh, even though, like, you know, I haven't had the ch- chance to travel back too often yeah. to Bangladesh. Um, it's always been around me, uh, always was living pretty close to, like, JMC. So uh, there's always been a community, a Bangladeshi community there, so... Growing up in Jamaica, I mean, my wife's from Jamaica, I'm from South Ozone Park, and, you know, you described at a time when there weren't that many other Bangladeshis around us. So even before reaching high school, what did you grow up on? I mean, were you, like, into, you know, were you, were you interested in art as a young kid, or did you, you know, what were, you, what were your hobbies as a young kid? Um, they were, 
they were pretty diverse. I mean, initially got into like, well, I was always into drawing. Mm. Um, I was always into drawing, um, but I didn't really do too well in my my art classes. Okay. Like I actually like literally failed like every almost every art class I took. It's just you know like my parents pressed upon like math and all those other classes that I I did really well on those and I just didn't really put. I mean. I feel like I got off topic and in my art classes, I just experimented a lot and wasn't really on cue with, you know, whatever the assignment was. So that's why I ended up failing. It wasn't like I was completely disinterested. And, you know, going back to like uh, growing up in Jamaica, right? I mean, initially when we first moved in, there wasn't that many Bangladeshis, but it, you know, it, it, it grew almost, you know, exponentially, right? And now there's uh, a lot, there's a huge Bangladeshi community in, in Jamaica. And so like, um, I guess in a certain way, like, you know, there was a greater, sort of uh, emphasis on math or like the other subjects as opposed to art when I was growing up. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I wasn't really, it wasn't really pressed upon me. It wasn't like, hey, let's go to museums or whatever else, you know, so. And that's, and that's pretty common for a lot of the yeah. youth that I speak to. And, you know, we're not growing up having our parents take us to like the Museum of Natural History like we see on TV or even yeah. like art shows. It's it's like the onushtans and the functions and you're lucky if you get some visual art. So what did you immerse yourself in besides the drawing as a kid? Um, well, there was always like a lot of graffiti in my neighborhood, mm -hmm. you know, like growing up pretty close to like Jamaica Avenue, there was always like a bunch of graffiti there. Uh, that always enticed me. Um, and then, you know, as I was, uh, when I got into Stuy, I started taking the, the train to to Manhattan. Yeah. So that was a pretty long train ride, you know? So like I saw a lot of graffiti along the way and I, I always had paper on me. I, that's like an hour to kill. So, I mean, if I wasn't working on homework, then I was just doodling on the train. So how early does your graffiti work go? I mean, a lot of, a lot of young artists, you know, it's like they, they, they talk about from fourth grade, I like tagged up my entire notebook. Yeah. What was that like? Like how early was that for you? And were there any good graffiti spots? like in the Jamaica area that you remember like, yo, that, that part was inspiring or I, I could tell they put some work into this, this, uh, piece. Um, for me, uh, I guess, uh, I was first exposed to like street art with like, uh, five points cause uh, they started having dance competitions at five points. And, uh, Ooh. do you, do, are you, are you familiar with five points? Uh, five points long was, gone, long yeah, gone, just a few years ago. Yeah. It was, it was just, uh, I feel like it was a natural landmark. It really was, you know, like I'd always like bring friends over there as opposed to like the Statue of Liberty or whatever else. There's it was so many amazing, like, you know, pieces there. And, How old were you when you started messing with five points and shit? Um, I was probably like 14, 15. Um, and, uh. Uh, I, I did have one other friend who was like Bangladeshi and he used to like do graffiti and he started pretty young. So like he kind of showed me. Um, That's not common. Yeah. Like, for like yeah. two, two brown boys and yeah. like yeah. to do graffiti. It's, a, it's such a counterculture um, expression yeah. and it's not common for us. So, so he, was, like? he was pretty deep into it like from like the age of 12. So he kind of exposed me to it. He doesn't do it anymore. I kind of got like <laughs> in trouble for it. But um yeah, I mean, it did expose me to graffiti early on. Um, so, what were your what were your hobbies like growing up in Jamaica Queens? Jamaica Queens. Um, well, my parents wanted to keep me out of trouble. I totally forget that I used to do this, but yeah, I did like eight years of karate martial arts. Oh wow! So, like, they just wanted to keep me like occupied. I was yeah pretty fidgety and all over the place. So, like, uh, my parents always like attribute you know 
us whatever success today to like you know that sort of underlying foundation that I had in doing martial arts I guess and it did give it did give me a, a leg up into dancing because it was easy to convert that movement and it did inspire a lot of my movement in, in, into dancing and martial arts. Were you always drawing as a kid or like how did that start? Um, I was always drawing in the back of my notebooks from like yeah from like I don't know like I guess whenever we got like Marvel notebooks I can find like my second grade yeah. notebooks and they all have like pretty. Pretty decent drawings of like different types of sharks. Sharks, <laughs> sharks. maybe sharks. Like sharks. <laughs> so you went from sharks, and as you grew up, you know, you know, there's a lot of graffiti as uh, an expression of you know artwork in that of boroughs, yeah. whether it's in the Bronx or Five Points. How did you start getting exposure to that uh, that form of expression? Um, well, yeah, I mean, uh, I was immersed in like dancing, hip hop dancing, and like there's different elements of hip hop. So that's right. Like, what are they again for our viewers, our <laughs> listeners? Uh, I hope I get all of them. There's, uh, let's start with the forgotten one, beatboxing, and then there's uh, break dancing, then there's MC, then there's DJ, um, MC, DJ. And then there's uh, Sp- uh, uh, okay, right? <laughs> sorry, about, sorry. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, it kind of exposed me to like, you know, some of these people who are doing like, who are breakdancing as well were also like, uh, tagging up or like piecing, you know? So like, like one of my favorite dancers, Mr. Wiggles, he's an amazing artist, also dancer. And you can see like the connection between like their movement, you know? Wow. So like for me, that was huge. And like, so like, uh, this is like my second show here. My, my last show here was all about that connection of like dancing and movement. So like, I was literally like holding spray paint in my hand while I was just like listening to music and just like letting this, this just capture, let it all happen. capture my movement. Yeah, and like these paintings were done in like seconds, you know? And then when you put an iPad over it, you'd see me dancing inside the paintings so people could see the correlation through augmented reality. Oh, snap. So you had art form within an art form within yeah, yeah, like uh, more technology, yeah, yeah. Uh, leveraging technology. Yeah, in a tasteful way. It is, of course, of course. So, yeah. what, what are what are Amo and Abu saying right now? Because right now you're tagging up your stuff. Yeah, you're yeah. sneaking off and you're break dancing. <laughs> you're, you're, you know, you're, you're studying graffiti not in Jamaica Queens, but you're traveling to other parts of Queens. Yeah, and you're about to start high school. What are your parents like? Did your parents have an idea that you're doing all this shit? Uh, I mean, I feel like you know, like I have an older sister, and they're like, I guess they were pretty fixated on her. And you know, I guess those double standards still do apply in South Asian families. Yeah. Or like, you know, she'll be like, "Can I go?" And they're like, "Never." And I'll be like, "See you later," <laughs> you know, and come back whenever. So like, uh, I mean, they weren't happy about it, but like, they were just a little. I, there, was, there was a bit more flexibility with me. Typical you know? to a lot of immigrant cultures, not only in South Asia but you know all over the world. Being a young man, you had more privilege in not having as strict curfew rules or just having a lot more freedom from immigrant parents. Yeah, I mean, there were rules, but I felt like it was easier for me to melt the ice, you know? Oh, man. But I just felt like, you know, what I was doing, right? Like, it's like, you know, they, they, and I know that they had the best intentions, right? But it's hard to understand, like, coming as an immigrant, you know? Uh, what's going on today, right? And I feel like we have to preserve our culture, but also assimilate to a certain degree, right? If you yeah. don't assimilate, it's a, it's a matter of adaption. And I feel like the greatest feature in human humans are to adapt to, to our situation. That's how mm-hmm. we survive, you know? So, like, you know, we're pretty feeble, like, in our design, you know? But, like, it's our ability to adapt to our environment that's, like, really helped us. So if I, if I just stuck to like how my parents told me to be like according to what Bangladesh was when they grew up, yeah, like yeah. it just wouldn't, you know, like, and I knew that there were no artistic opportunities then, you know, and, uh, dancing isn't a thing there, you know, but like, I know in this day and age, like I could, I saw these opportunities before me, 
you know? So it was just a matter of connecting the dots and just waiting for the moment that they could see it too. So, so I guess you had to work to make sure that mom and dad eventually could start understanding yeah. this expression. You also went to a really STEM-oriented high school. You, you, know, yeah. you went to Stuyvesant and promoting things like breakdancing and, and graffiti and street culture isn't really like number one or two on most Sty kids' priorities. It's, so, it's definitely not a priority. So how did that, how was that fit for you? And, and did you feel like a fish out of water? Or how was your high school experience like? Because a lot of folks are like, oh no, those schools are just for nerds. And they're thinking yeah. like robotics club and calculus. But here, here it is, Stuyvesant, you know, dropping speech and debate leaders and art, artists yeah. like you. So how did you create that in an environment that's normally known for STEM? I did feel a little bit like a fish out of water at Sty, like just because like growing up in Jamaica, Queens, you know, like my friends there were a certain type of way. Like and for yep. me, it was like, go to Jamaica High School or Stuyvesant, you know, like, yeah. and I was living right by Jamaica High School, so it was a little enticing, you know. But Nothing in between. It's just yeah, those it, are the two choices. It, it was, yeah, I don't know how it ended up that, that way, but it did, you know, like I was hoping to get into like Townsend or Dozo, but it just, you know, I failed those art classes, you know, like it didn't affect my average, but it looked bad. Um, <laughs> those art classes do catch up. They, they do, they, they do. do. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, Going to Stye, I did feel a little bit like a fish out of water, um, and uh, I guess um, it was people like, more in like Queens that like you know I found like um, flexing. Mm. It's like a start. It's a like a it kind of originated from like Brook Up and like this Jamaican sort of dance form to like uh, bone break. It's like a it's it's a more urban style of dancing, and that's what I got exposed to initially. Um, and uh, that was around like my neighborhood, you know, and like the graffiti or whatever else it was like a friend from my neighborhood. So like, I don't know, I kind of found like shelter outside of high school, like these artistic communities. So in your community, you, just, you started uh, finding art and, and spaces where that type of expression and talent was, was celebrated. Yeah, yeah, and especially, you know, like, because I, I mean, first like taking the train and it enabled me, you know, like had mm -hmm. I just gone to Jamaica High School, I wouldn't have like been so, uh, exposed. Yeah, exposed, you know, because I started seeing kids street performing, you know, who were my age, making money. So I was just like, oh, it's not. You know, I wanted to be as good as, it, as good as them. And then I also found like a forum that like talked about like this, this, uh, dance studio that was open on Saturdays, like three dollars $3 to just come in, just like session with a bunch of other people who like, when who are like, you know, usually like dance teachers elsewhere who just want to jam out, you know? Three dollars? Like, where the heck was this? What neighborhood was, was this at, opportunity? No, it was on 14th Street. It's called PMT Dance Studio, which is actually run by this Indian guy, interestingly enough. Um, but yeah, it's a very popular dance studio with all, with the hip hop community. And, uh, they would just have this open session where like, it's not, nothing's being taught, but they're just playing music and everyone's just jamming out, you know? Like, but you can learn a lot from all the people there. Most of these people were teaching at Broadway Dance Center. Harry dance it's just, like, it's just like a big time fun weekend yeah. just like outlet for them and I, you know I think a lot of people just like felt uh, just were open to helping me because, because I was really young so like you know it was like it was cool and so I found like a community there like you know I also like the attention of just being young in that community so like Stuy is a big place you know it's a graduating class of like 800 people you know so it's just like it's hard to find a click sometimes or you know so I found it outside like and outside in there the yeah culture. I looked so forward to going to like that Saturday session at like 7 which so your parents were going like they knew you were going out all was, the way from yeah, Queens yeah, to yeah. 14th Street like, to do like dance yeah they were like what's going on but you know like I was tutoring like all throughout like since like middle school yeah I was tutoring kids so like you know I was making my own money and like so like paying for my own metro cards or whatever it was or like those little dance sessions whatever I needed so like you know like 
you can, it, I mean, sometimes, yeah, they were definitely in question of it. They didn't like me coming back at like 10. Sometimes I'd try to push it, you know? Yeah. So, some of my older friends would want to try to go to like a dance event or like a party later, you know? Like, I'd try to. Damn, to so you're in high school going out from like 10 in the morning, 11 in the morning from like these classes and just and just staying all day to keep practicing and, and keep learning. Yeah, keep I mean, growing. it was just, you know, I, I kind of like, you know, I, I, I like being a part of that community. And so, like, it really just did push me to get better and better and better. So like I spent like I in high school I wish I did I still had that same diligence where I would like practice every day for like four hours, you know just like you missed um, that you missed yeah, that like yeah. that. Um, I gotta ask you did, at that point, did you start recognizing that being an artist would be a part of your adult career as as a kid you know or are uh, you no. still. No, I mean, I didn't didn't think, like, you know, when you say, like, a painter, and I still, like, you know, mention it to some of my friends back in Jamaica now, and they're like, oh, houses or apartments, and I get it, you know, it's like, you don't think of it as a a profession, because it's pretty, like, you know, this whole uh, fine arts game is pretty esoteric, it's very exclusive, and somewhat pretentious, you know, most people don't assume anything of it, or understand how it works, you know, how the money behind it works. but no, I didn't, I didn't think of it as a profession then, you know, I was still just trying to figure out my way. Um, but at the same time, I felt like, you know, it was it was almost obvious because I started getting like offers and opportunities. So it's like, okay, money's being thrown at me to do something that I like that I wasn't expecting, you know? Like, so like, is this like, am I just overlooking something here? You know, isn't this like the end game? Isn't this the point? Like- It was under my nose the whole time and I was yeah, running away from it. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, especially, you know, just like, I mean, but initially I did, I remember like, you know, I started street performing like in high school and like at some point, like my parents found out about it. Like my mom was just like so upset about it, you know, she's like, we need to come to this country for you to be street performing. And, and this is before video, right? This is before like iPhone video. Was she actually saw it or? Uh, I think like one of her she friends heard it. Saw, like, saw me on the platform. And she snitched. She told me. Yeah, like, I'm in the Montana Gimmicks. So, I mean, but you know, I was making good money off that platform, like, you know, like yeah, you know that's my money just practicing. I was like, you know, like, so I was getting paid to practice. That's how I saw it in my head, and it was exposure. I was getting business cards from different people, like yeah. that led to opportunities and gigs and whatever else, you know. So like, um, it's New York City, you know. And I realized that like, hey, if you're in like Union Square and you yeah. can stop New Yorkers at rush hour to stop and like empty out their wallets, you know, then you're onto something. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was golden. So like for me, that was like you know market research, pretty much. You know, that's the way I considered it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, I was just doing just like, I just considered it practice. I wasn't like, this is going to be what I'm going to do forever. Like I didn't want to be a street performer forever, but it, I also did need money and it was hard for me to get like a regular internship or a job because yeah, at the time I, I didn't have like a social security, I wasn't naturalized or whatever else. And that, that, that had been a struggle for us. So like, yeah. It's a common theme that we hear a lot about in the Note of Our podcast being undocumented and oftentimes it's that transition to college where that really becomes self-evident for this lack of paperwork or you know for a better term if you want to share a little bit about what your college experience was like uh you went to baruch and you know here you are a, a world of experience in dancing and now increasingly visual arts yeah what was your time at baruch like before I wrap up the education section. Okay, um, it was, it was honestly, I, 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 I sort of regret uh, my time at Baruch, I guess. I mean, not not going there, just not making the most of it, but that's also mm. life, you know, I was doing yeah. things. I found like a design job. I found like my friend Vernon, who like I now share this gallery with, you know, like, 
And I was just so, and I was, uh, I also found like I was working, like I started working on Broadway, on the show Illuminate, whatever else, just, you know, just doing Damn. what I wanted That's to do, you know? So yeah. I was just like, I wasn't doing so great on my classes at that point. I remember, yeah, like, you know, like I failed like a, a, a design class or whatever, but I was working in design, you know? So like, I was just like, okay, you know. I once failed the bottom class, so don't worry. <laughs> it's all good. You know, so I wasn't, you know, but I wanted to get that degree. So like at that point, that was like my mentality. And I wish, you know, that, I didn't, you know, bother with design classes or things of that nature because it seemed so like rudimentary for me at that stage, right? That I took things like, you know, like or like accounting or uh, or more classes in taxes or whatever else, like you know, so uh, or things that you know I was weak at, I suppose, you know, like if, 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 if at that point my attitude was gearing towards like doing arts professionally, you know, so like uh, and so yeah, I suppose you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't really, to be honest, I don't really believe in the concept of like art school or whatever else. Yeah. Most of the artists that I meet who are in the art world mm-hmm. who are really killing it, they don't wait. You know, yeah. I don't, I'm not going to wait. Like, you know, these augmented reality videos that I do, I'm not going to find some professor talking about this at a lecture, you know, like it's, it's cutting edge, you know, so you have to be out there. You can't wait for someone to show you these things. You got to, if you don't have that sort of drive, you're not going to make in this very, very, very competitive art world. That's how I see it. Like my friends who are doing it, they're just like on top of it all the time, you know? So like, they're not going to wait for anyone. Like they're, they're all self-taught. So like, you know, so. That's incredibly inspiring. Uh, thank you so much for starting off with our education section. We've been learning a lot. We'll be right back on the Notre Girl podcast. Welcome back to the Notre Girl Podcast, Art Culture with Zihan Wazet. Zihan, before we left for our first break, you were describing some of the growth that you'd started experiencing in college. And you, you also mentioned that you're a Macaulay student. Macaulay's the honors college at the CUNY system. And with that comes a lot of perks. Yeah. Tell us about some of those added perks that the Macaulay program offered you that helps you grow. Um, for sure. I mean, like I said, like uh, I at that time I didn't have like the social security uh, number. Yeah. I'm like now naturalized, but it was quintessential to like getting a loan anywhere. And like my sister was also like a star student, should have gotten into any, like, any college really. And so that was like an obstacle for her as well. But like because of the Macaulay program, we were able to like go to some school, you know, and like uh, they did. She, to, like, she also went to she went to Brooklyn uh, uh, Brooklyn College. Sweet. Brooklyn program. Yeah. Sweet. I mean, she's now a doctor. She went to Stony Brook after that. Yeah. And so like yeah, she's she. She's like, I guess she's one of my role models because like she didn't let any obstacles sort of like stop her, you know. She wanted to be a doctor, so like, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So the, the Macaulay program clearly became an opportunity for high achieving kids without the necessary paperwork to get a world class education. Mm-hmm. Whether your goal is to go into a life in healthcare or to become today's greatest artist. So what was the what were some of the perks that you enjoyed at Macaulay? Um, well, they gave us large stipends. I remember uh, my sophomore year, I used it to like fund a trip to like Japan, 
where I got to like connect with other dancers there. And we took like I took like film classes with one of my best friends who I now have like this AR exhibition that I produced with him and he's an amazing videographer. So, like, this is all in Japan? This is all in Japan. Like, what kind of film? What type of film class you took out there like? Um Honestly, we just mostly wanted to go to Japan to film class. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, but like, plus, but uh, were you like doing Japanese film, Japanese Western film? film? Japanese oh, film. yeah, yeah. So we went to Toho Studios. We went to Studio Ghibli. It was an amazing experience. Yeah. So, How long were you out there for? With your best friend, yeah. Um, we were out there for a month. So yeah, I had a chance to go back there another time for like a, another month. But yeah, it was just like that was like one of the most amazing times of my life. And your best friend was in the it was in the same field as you. Like you're both. He's into artists. videography at that time. I was also doing like he was teaching me production. We were working together. Or whatever. Or, like you know, we were working on like our college yearbook and whatever else. Like Damn. I mean, now he's killing it. He does like shoots for anyone and everyone. So like I'm really proud of him. Like he's yeah, he's an amazing creative. So. so through the program, you got a chance to be get exposure to international travel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what else? You said some Broadway tickets or something. Oh yeah, so like uh, they'd also have everyone minor in like New York City culture. It was like called the interdisciplinary culture minor. Mm-hmm. So um, they a freshman year they they involved us in like Broadway shows, different happenings in, in New York City. Uh, cultural events um, so yeah I really you know growing up in New York City you don't really take full advantage especially you know I still see a lot of my friends in Jamaica who've never come out to Manhattan there's like a plethora of opportunities you know a lot of free things going on um, so yeah you know different ways to connect and really I mean I don't know there's just so much going on in New York City you know it's hard not to take advantage of it so uh, it did definitely open up my eyes to like you know what everything that's going on here especially with the arts as well so I'm really glad you mentioned that in the growth section because too often, you know, perhaps it's because you got a chance to go to Macaulay, Naparug, and you had these free tickets to culture. Mm-hmm. And there's so many young men and women who don't make that leap to even take the train past Astoria or take the train past Roosevelt Ave. I want you know, I want to come back to that that lack of exposure and awareness for folks in our community out of boroughs and how we can change that and bring them all out here to LES or wherever. Fix the MTA, no, I'm just kidding. Fix the MTA, I know, right? But yeah. we know that it ain't even the MTA. We know that it's, it's, yeah, yeah. we know that it's their, either their, their, their unawareness or a little bit of their fears about yeah. a new space that they're not comfortable with. And that's no fault of their own. There's a lot of, you know, history behind what keeps people from you know really really going for it i want to go back to a little bit of your growth at baruch it started as a major in finance before switching to perceptual psychology mm-hmm. what made you switch and if you could just tell a little bit uh tell us a little bit about what perceptual psychology okay. even is okay so i'll be pretty blunt i mean i started with finance and I, I expected to pursue finance but then you know i was getting these artistic opportunities i was selling my first couple of paintings and uh, I kind of fell off like with my classes and uh, I was no longer able to like stay in like the business school, the Ziegler business school. So I kind of defaulted into psychology in a sense. Um, but, you know, and, and I wasn't, you know, I just figured it was an easy major initially, but it did. I did come across perceptual psychology in, in the process, you know, it just sounded like a cool class, but it was really formative for like my artistic style and even my dancing. Amazing. Yeah. What is it? Uh, what is it? So. It's just the way, I mean, uh, I was going to be redundant, the way you perceive things, but it is the way you perceive things. And a lot of times it is sounds commonsensical. It's like spatial arrangements and how things sort of appear, you know, but like there's these natural tendencies that humans have, right? Either individually or as masses that create a frequency of patterns that you can sort of now 
than predict, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, and I use that to like, you know, either draw attention to my movement in dancing or in my artwork. I can sort of have your eyes travel across the canvas the way I want it to. And if you can draw people's attention to things, then there's power behind that. So I'm scared now. I'm scared to look at your art now. You got, you got some uh, Inception stuff in there. You got conceptual psychology, and then you create the art, and you're like, look over there, but I'm, I know you're looking there. Instead. I feel like most subtlety, uh, yeah, the greatest subtleties are the most, uh, you know, or more powerful than something so overt, you know? I agree. And so, yeah. <laughs> Great. That's, this is crazy stuff for me. All right. So you're growing. It's, it's college. You're switching to perceptual psychology. You're putting together not only your talent, you know, with art, but you're, you're bringing in extra deeper layers, you know, that, 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 that's been inspired in like a classroom setting, you know, at this point, you're like a junior in college. What the heck do your parents think you're doing with your life? Or do they know that you've been growing so much into this incredible artist that's, you know, two years away from graduation you know like whatever uh, no, I guess I was just like and my communication with my parents then wasn't so great so yeah. that was like my fault and you know and now it's amazing you know like my mom probably knows more about like graffiti and breakdancing than any other South Asian woman I think <laughs> like she can like name artists and whatever else like you know she knows it you know like we're on the same page and like I do ask for her feedback my mom does have like an amazing eye for like just visually you know she, she's an artist herself so like um, I definitely pick up all of that for like my mom, my dad <laughs> is, uh, you know, it's a super intelligent guy. Like, and he, he, he is like, you know, uh, an entrepreneur and a maverick himself, you know, who's gone through many different obstacles and he runs his own newspaper mm -hmm. and it has a special place in the Bangladeshi community where it's like, you know, print, print is de definitely, you know, receding in a sense with like, you know, uh, with, with technology, but with, uh, you know, with these little enclaves or, um, communities, uh, these newspapers almost, you know, they, they provide secondary support systems, you know, for people to find all sorts of opportunities, you know, of course. who face a language barrier, you know, or just that it provides an intimacy that you're not going to find online through, or, you know, reading at the times or whatever else. So like, you know, I'm really proud for my, of my dad to have sustained that and create that, created that community. So like, you know, my dad really never was like, Hey, don't do this. You know, like my mom was worried, you know, just for my own sake, but my dad like took risks and he made it happen for himself. So like, I've, had, I've actually had the um, privilege and honor of knowing your dad for countless years. And he had a chance to know my late dad and work with my parents. And whenever, after my dad passed is when I started taking on a bigger role to work with our partners in the media and the press. And through that time, I had a chance to always get to know your dad. So whenever I saw him, I'd be like, yo, how are your kids? You know, like, and he'd tell me about your sister and yeah, what she's doing, but he'd immediately go on to you as well. And he'd be like, oh, my son's doing this, this, that, that, Zia's doing this. And I know that you share some tight bonds with some of my teammates in the office. So uh, it's always a pleasure getting to meet uncles or aunties in the community. And they won't ever tell us, I'm proud of you. You know, like they, they won't tell their own children, but they, but they do share that to the rest of the community, that how, how proud he is of both of you. Um, do you have any advice for young people who are in college? And whether it's because they are stuck in a field that their parents made them uh, enter or other things have caused a barrier between their ability to personally connect with their parents. 
I've been through it through med school. I was, you know, blaming my mom or dad for, for this or that if things hit a little rough patch. Mm-hmm. So do you have any advice for young people on building that proper relationship? It sounds like you have an incredible relationship with your mom and dad now. Yeah, yeah now. <laughs> now. Um, yeah, but I mean, if I could have gone back, I would definitely have tried to communicate better, you know, um, because, you know, Sometimes you just sort of, I think it's also biological when you're younger, you just see them as that sort of parent figure as opposed to another human being or like, you know, authority. yeah, that authority. So like, you know, you're just stuck in that moment. But yeah. Um, yeah, definitely just to communicate, you know, like, and I'm glad, you know, like now we're in like very like, yeah, open, honest, yeah, terms and stuff like just, yeah. So, um, yeah. Fast forward to today. This is your second ex- exhibition at the ABXY Gallery. If you could take us through how the first one went, what the, what the overarching themes were, and I, I can't wait to go into a little Q and A about what you know we're sitting in right now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so last year I had the show called Momentum, um, and I don't know. Have you ever read uh, The Alchemist by Paul Coelho? I started it and I was like in chapter one and a half. And oh, you should finish it. I should? It's, a, it's an amazing Maybe, I'll, maybe I'll audio book it. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I do, I, I do have the book and, yeah. I, and I didn't finish it's, it. It's it, great. It was um, really good engagement. In any case, it talks about synchronicity and how like things are fated to be. Like I feel like, you know, we're sitting at this table in time and space because it was fated to be, right? Like everything could be completely arbitrary, but you can see a greater meaning in things, right? Like. I went off on so many different tangents in my life, right? Because yeah. it's been like dancing then, like, and doing art here, and then like going to school there, and doing psychology, and all of that could have amassed to nothing. But I thought everything was meaningful. Mm-hmm. Every like blip in the way, you know, and I thought it was all going to accumulate to one point, right? You go off on all these different tangents, but they somehow connect, you know, to creating something truly unique. And that's what the show was about, right? Just like this momentum in my life. And it was also like I, I completely decked out this entire place from like the floor, the walls, everything, like to make it a very immersive space. Um, yeah, it's expensive. <laughs> uh, how, long, like, yeah. how long was that exhibition? Uh, that was three, four months. It was, it was months. great. Yeah, really. You know, like it was like, about it. it was like my introduction to the art world. And it, was, it was great. Like definitely opened up a lot of doors for me and got some press and stuff. So it was, it was really cool. Uh, you know, got some collectors, whatever else. Um, and yeah, it was my first big solo show, and uh, it was yeah, it was just a uh, it was a really interesting experience just to know that I could pull that off, you know, because I'd rendered all of this in my head, yeah. and just to know that I could do it, you know, like I, I can execute on like something that's rather abstract, and like the whole like, and I wanted to push the limits of like you know what a, what a show was and what painting was, you know, um, so like that's why I included like you know this augmented reality component to it, and like I don't know maybe you're familiar with like Pokemon Go, how you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I have a cousin who's who's like a top five champion and shit. Oh, okay, okay. He sneaks away from hangouts to yeah. To so do it, shout out to my cousin Riz, whatever, and the whole crew <laughs> out there, Pokemon Go crew. <laughs> it's a little different from that in that sense, where this was like I use my paintings as trackers. So like, my paintings were unique trackers where like when you put like you know an iPad over it, right? Yeah. And uh, you, I, I recorded myself dancing. Uh-huh. So like, because a lot of times people will see my paintings and they'll be like, oh, it's like very geometric. What's this? It's like inspired by calculus because you're Asian. It's like, no, not really. It's like all Spanish. So I hated calculus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I didn't hate calculus, but, um, uh, but that show was like all inspired by dancing. So I wanted people to see the correlation. So like, you know, when they hold up the iPad on top of it, like you, uh, I'll show you a video of it later. Like you'd see like an inkblot almost figure of me like dancing on top of it and like creating that sort of shape, you know? Because um, like a lot of people who see my dancing say it's very similar to like my artwork. It's very free flowing and like, 
Uh, there's a lot, yeah, just like very gyroscopic, so to say. Um, so uh, yeah, you know, uh, it was really interesting to to pull that off. You know, so yeah, the Coachella Zeon uh, hologram, like over your own artwork. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was that was definitely like an experience to pull that off. I wasn't sure if it was gonna work out. Yeah. Because um, we there weren't really any apps developed at the time. I had to work with a the developer to do that. Um, and so it was localized to one iPad. This time around, I had like there's an app available, Artivive, and I use that to sort of augment my paintings. Um, and it's like you know, it can work on any phone. Um, technology had to catch up to your vision. And you had like the vision still, before I, technology I, I really was hasn't there. had. Like I feel like the technology really hasn't caught yeah. up exactly because like you know, even when I talk about these augmented paintings, most people aren't really familiar with what it is. So most people walk past these paintings just think it's a painting. Um, but yeah, you know, like technology hasn't caught up in the sense that it hasn't been commodified, you know, like yeah. you still have to pull up a phone, have an app, right? Eventually, augmented reality is going to be all around us, right? All this negative space is going to be ad space and there's all reason to monetize it. So like I do, you know, as scary as it is, I would like to curate artfully how this place is going to look. So like I have been working on just sort of like creating dynamic spaces or different art augmented experiences that are, you know, beyond the canvas. Amazing. I'm like learning so much and getting so excited. Um, if it's all right, we chose this as okay. your backdrop today for the Note to Grow podcast. Probably the nicest backdrop we've ever had for one of our episodes, right, producers? So do you want to take us through what the audience is seeing right now? Yeah, yeah for sure. So uh, the gallery came up with this uh, amazing reference book because I'm, I'm just uh, a forgetful. Um, but yeah, this painting is called Hope Floats. Um, and Hope Floats? Yeah, Hope mm -hmm. Floats. And it's, it's, well, it's got a lot going on. It essentially asks the question of like what a life is worth. And um, because there's so many ironies in, in regards to that question, especially in this day and age. Sorry, give me one second. Take your time now. We're just looking at the artwork. Okay, yeah, sorry. Um, so I use different uh, uh, news clips and bits that are either viral or whatever else to, to sort of inspire the story in my works. And um, so uh, in, this, in this case, it really spoke a lot about immigration, just like the ironies of like abortion and, and gun laws. And because, oh, like I said, it kind of asks the question of what a life is worth. People are are anti-abortion but they're pro-gun you mm -hmm. know and they're anti-immigration and people sort of end up dehumanizing immigrants you know uh -huh. sort of failing to see like see that we too are a form of life you know and um i remember uh i first uh one of the first things i painted on this painting um because like i'll do the background first and it's, it's, a, it's a very uh improvised process where i'm just using spray paint it's like last year where like i was like very dance like and improvised i'll do use spray paint to create these geometric shapes and the landscape for it. And then um, then I'll use brush to sort of bring in like the figure development. So like all the abstractions are sort of like this cerebral landscape in, in my mind, so to say. And then the figures are things that come into focus that sort of just ruminate in my, in my mind. So like, cause you ever think about like, say for example, like if I say uh, Donald Trump right now, you have an image of Donald Trump in your head, right? Mm -hmm. It maybe took a second to do that. But within that second, right? In your mind's eye, how did, that image formulate, right? It's not pixels, it's not rods and cones because it's not your optical nerve, it's inside your head, right? Yeah. It's this ether of, of colors that amass to create that visual of Donald Trump in your head, right? So I think about that cataclysmic reaction inside your head 
right, in, in, through your neurons. Because like a lot of people, well, there's been this parallel that's been drawn between your dendrites and your neurons and uh, the cosmos, you know, and like this sort of relativity and how it all looks similar. So I take a lot of inspiration in like constellations and taking that color palette and creating this cerebral landscape. And then I look at it for some time and then after a while, these news clips that sort of like are just sort of roaming through my head sort of like find themselves here and sort of sew together its own story. So yeah, I mean, this one, like I said, uh, talks about life. And uh, one of the first things I painted was that boat. And I'd seen that boat and uh, I was such in a rush to sort of get these paintings done that I didn't really get to look into the full story of the boat. I, I was actually like, you know, I'd finished the entire painting and then I look into like what this boat was that I painted of this, of this, this migrant boat that was capsizing. And but you just felt it. You just, you I just felt it. Yeah, yeah. I placed it. I placed like, it. What yeah. was that? And because, yeah, I'd seen it, you know, and, uh, it was all over the news at some point. Um, it was actually a boat that was capsizing off the coast of Libya where I was born, you know, it just happened like that, uh, yeah, coincidentally. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, um, and I painted it very small because I felt like today immigrants are just sort of dehumanized, almost insect-like, you know, and I felt like also growing up, like, you know, you have to stay quiet, be under the radar, just like not draw much attention to yourself, almost like a bug under the rug. Just hope you don't like get squashed, you know? Yeah. Um, so like... That's why, you know, I just painted them so small, you know, and like there's just so, so much imminent danger around them, you know, even when you cross that sort of bridge, even there, there's all that discrimination that you face and everything else, you know, so like, where, where are you escaping to? And some people don't have land to stand on and other people have so much land, you know, and there's like, so that's sort of like the, the symbolism of the <clears throat> golf course over there, because, uh, and I like to juxtapose like not only colors, but social context. So, and to create that sort of color association, it, 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 it's all sort of cerebral, like I said, in my head. So like, that's why certain, like a hand is red because maybe it's a little bit more right wing, you know? So like, that's just how I see things in my head. And it's just sort of giving people a glimpse of, of, of the universe inside my head. But yeah, that's, uh, and oh, right. Uh, so this point of painting is called Hope Floats because uh, it talks about this one very surreal point, so to say. Um, and uh, there was this one uh, boy, the Syrian boy, Alan Curdy, who was mm -hmm. found uh, beached, I don't mm -hmm. know if you recall. Yes, um, I do. I mean, as a parent, it, it crushed, you know, humanity to see it. Yeah. But as a parent of two young kids, uh, both my son and my daughter, I think he was at the age right between their ages at the time. Yeah. So it was very triggering for uh, my wife and I, but we were just wondering how horrific it could be for everyone you're depicting here yeah and you know so like uh i just thought maybe in a surreal world right and speaking of humanity sometimes when i feel like humanity fails like you know like animals almost take pity upon ourselves so i, I mean that's like a fin whale that's 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 nearly going extinct but what if it could have you know at least attempted to save a boy so that's why this painting is called Hopefuls. Zion, thank you so much for that very very uh, meaningful conversation in the growth section. We'll take our final break uh, before we come back for the culture section. Podcast Art Culture with Zihan Wazet. Before our final break, we were speaking about many different types of art forms coming together in your work. 
And oftentimes, your art carries a deep message. Before we go into some of the other themes in your art, who are some of your inspirations growing up? I mean, you're a dancer, you're a visual artist, you're a sculptor, you're at the intersection of so much. Who are some of your inspirations in either in any of the, in any of the spaces? Uh, yeah, um, like I mentioned before, like there was a there's like breakdance crews that are also doing like graffiti, like Rocksteady, and that's like a very famous like like hip hop breakdance like pioneering crew. So like they were like a lot of those members were like huge inspirations to me, uh, like very young. And then um, you know then I met some of my friends are like my biggest inspirations, like Malik Roberts, Vernon O'Mealy. They're incredible painters, you know, and they really did like like Vernon O'Mealy did sort of like take make me shift from like graffiti into this fine arts world and like really opened up my eyes to like you know a world of possibilities so like and yeah like my friend Malik Roberts just like continues to push the envelope and he's just doing amazing amazing things I don't know very many people who work harder than him so like just being around like you know the, I mean because you know about people and you see their work right and you might see it hanging on a wall but then you like share a studio with these people and you see like how many nights they don't sleep and like how much work they put into it it inspires you incredible do you have any folks in your family you mentioned your mom and and is that is it like running your blood or uh, or yeah. anyone else out there that, that our listeners no um i mean growing up no I, I mean i didn't know people personally it was just like yeah um you mentioned you know, your mom i mean what yeah, type of artist she into and because i wanted um, to make that draw that connection yeah i mean my time. mom's just always had like an artistic inclination and stuff um i remember in like <laughs> my second grade science fair, fair project. I actually won it, but like my mom did most of it. And I mostly won it because like she drew like this, she fixed my whale, but I drew a whale on it. I was just fixated with like marine biology and still you see like a whale here. Um, Voyage of the Mimi. Yeah, but it was like, it was a badass whale. My mom really like killed it. It was like, I mean, I was good, but I wasn't that good. And it should have been obvious, but I, I got like a medal for it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, Luke mom drew this whale, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, my mom's good. You also spent some time in Saya. If you could tell the youth about Saya and what that played for you and how you hope to continue giving back to your community. Okay, yeah, I got involved with the Saya when I was really young and they did really help me with like some of my immigration issues or just like understanding it, whatever else. Um, I got involved with them when they were really a tiny organization. It expanded quite a bit. I'm really proud of like all the work that they've done. Um, and yeah, when I was young, um, even and though- Saya stands for what? Uh, South Asian Youth Action. Okay. And uh, even when I was like young uh, and I failed all my art classes, they were like, hey, we know you're good at drawing, like do this art contest, you know? And, and they signed me up for like this hate crime, whatever. It was like, you had to create some sort of symbols, like an art contest. Wow. And, and I won like two grand out of that. And I was like, you know, that was, that was probably the first time like I won money from like an art thing. And so like, that was cool. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that kind of, you know, got me started a little bit and it was funny, like uh, I, I got involved with Saya again more, like, you know, um, working with them after college and when I went to uh, uh, their offices, it was much, you know, it's more established now, whatever else, on like a different director. She had that same picture that I drew for that art contest that like traveled. So like countless executive directors later, like four or five later, like ages later. It was on our table. It was just on our desk frame. I was like, wow, it's a funny story behind this, you know, like, so it was cool. Like it's all, they've always been a part of like, you know, my life. They always gave, like they gave like free, they gave me a free specialized high school test prep class, classes. And I also did 
tutor there for free and like I did my community service hours there as well did a lot of volunteering they gave me the opportunities to do that did and you go to the one across the mall where, where they across the mall when yeah you they're still situated they still have a they still have their headquarters there um, but they're also like yeah they're also branched out many different schools and locations so like amazing they do amazing work I'm involved with their gala uh, as well I donate some paintings for the uh, for that uh, for that night um, and yeah, they've just always been like a big presence in my life, and uh, I also yeah, I teach painting, I teach painting classes to their to, to their kids as well. Planning to have a tour here, so you know, just sort of open their eyes, open uh, to to the possibility that you know you can be South Asian and sort of be doing this. Um, so yeah, since we're on youth, and you've you've already been giving back a lot to the youth. For you know, most of our listeners are either in college or just finished. What do you, what, any messages you have for youth after you who've had your similar journey, you know, have, have a deep, deep, deep talents in art and expression and psychology and how things are interconnected to not, you know, but they're having this pressure for, yeah. to achieve financial security for their families yeah. as immigrants. I mean, that's what super important. to share. That, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to undermine that, you know, yeah. like for me, like if I wasn't like I was selling paintings first and I thought it was like an opportunity and I couldn't get a regular job, you know, so like for me, it kind of life kind of directed me in that direction, right? If I was making money doing something else initially, you know, like, you know, I was like, I was, I was, I was what, 12 or 13 when I got two grand for that art contest. I was like, that was, substan- wow. that was substantial for me then. I was like, okay, I can do something with this. So I had a proof of concept yeah. and I, I can't, I can't say that, hey, look, like, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, it sounds so ironic and maybe like horrible for me to say like, hey, don't like, you know, completely not think about money and follow your dreams. You have to, especially as immigrants, we have to make sacrifices, you know, and I still have to figure out like, you know, just aside from selling artwork, I have to figure out ways for this, like, you know, be bigger than me. Like I, have, I don't know, I try to figure out like kind of merchandise, whatever else. And, you know, I don't know, there's a lot of uncertainty behind, you know, just the art world, whatever. So like. I, you know, I'm sort of glad I went to Baruch or a business school because like, you know, I have a very business-like mind and I, I'll tell that to anyone who wants to do anything artistic. It doesn't matter if you're South Asian or not, have a proof of concept, you know, like that you can do this, that you can sell art, that you can make money because people have to eat, you know, and I think yep. that's a, that's a delusion I have to end up explaining to like a lot of artists, you know, like even, you know, like, you know, I still face challenges with the gallery or whatever else doing shows and selling work, you know, like, so like. I always have to stay on top of my game, be innovative, you know, like, and really push. You have to be your own boss and like, in, in, in regards to being, you know, an artist or an entrepreneur. So like, it's a double-edged sword, you know? So like, no, that's not just being an artist in this day and age, you know, and you have to be ready for all of that. But if you can like, you know, so show some proof, sort of proof of concept for yourself, for your family, it'll make things a lot easier. Like when I won that $10,000 dance contest, my parents were like, hey, my kid dance. You know, they never mentioned that before. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and like aunties were like, oh, we, we gotta we gotta get him to come to our wedding and like dance can we, and stuff. Can we hire him? No, they never hire him. Can he be on our halut? No, <laughs> seriously. They always ask my parents to like, oh, bring him to like, you know, a wedding. I'm like, who is this? Whose wedding am I going to? They're like, just, like, get, just get dance. Just dance. Just dance, will you? Every time it's horrible, they try to drag me out to like the, the dance floor and stuff. I'm like, like, I don't even know. That are, are there any like dancers in popular culture that you looked up to? Like, because you know, uh, it goes back to dancing, and yeah. you know, we got a lot of we well, got like, a lot of dancers in, in the, the South Asian 
comedian. Nah, it could be anywhere. Like who were like like oh. for like pop culture that people would know, like whether it's Chris they, Brown for Locks of no, Better no, Opera. No, I, know, I don't or, have like a pop culture yeah. sort of because I feel like they've always like taken more like because like I've been a part of like the, I hate to call it like the underground actually, but that's yeah. what it is, you know? It's like fun. yeah. Like, tell like, tell I meet us about these people, it. I meet these people like, you know, at dance parties and it sounds redundant, but they're parties where people aren't really drinking, they're literally doing backflips, dancing, yeah. like doing some crazy stuff. That's where we get our practice, you know? Yeah. And like these clubs and stuff and these close quarters and you get to really see different people the from energy. around the world. Yeah, the energy, it's live, it's raw. Like I don't like being in front of a studio, a cold cut studio. You know, and like there's dance battles, people like, you know, it, it gets cool. It's a cipher. It's that sort of like, you know, that culture, you know? Like and sometimes yeah, you know, like it, it being so institutional, it kinda of sucks the culture out of it. But like uh so my big race here is where like those underground dance like, yeah. like heroes. Like I would see like this I remember like one of my favorite dancers that I think I forget his name, but like amazing dude, like who just killed it in like a cipher, like because we have yeah. little dance circles, right? And I was just like, dude, I never seen you before. Like you must be like a big ass player. He's like, no, I'm just a gym teacher. <laughs> it's like <laughs> doing it, so I'm like, I've just been doing it my own time. And there's a lot of people like that who don't want to dance professionally, you know, and just like, but, but having that heart, rules, so they've always, they've always, yeah, heart, you know, like yeah, they just got it, you know. So like, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people like yeah, yeah I mean. I just know them by like their regular names, like Steve. I got, I gotta go with you. I gotta go with you. Some yeah, of these yeah, dance some, parties. Some I want to be going on for like, I'll be like two decades. Where did you learn all these moves? Like consultorial. I'm just, yeah. I'm just, a t- I'm just an educator. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a sick dancer. Yeah, and I'm yeah. Hey, I'm <laughs> I know you, you. You mentioned some events that you're looking to put together mm-hmm. at the gallery. What are the themes behind some of the events you're looking okay. to, you know, curate and, and and collectively create, and why? Okay, so more recently I had, uh, I mean, aside from like my openings or closings, which is like for the general art crowd, um, I recently had like a fundraiser for Save the Children with the two amazing people that recently befriended, Emily and Judah. They have their own uh, organization called eShow. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was great. Um, we, we raised some money for like uh, Save the Children and uh, and I got to coordinate that with one of my high school friends from Stuyvesant who also works at like Santiago, okay? Yeah. Who also works for like Save the Children. Who also, you know, works for Save, Save the Children. And I just feel like that's a lot of it's just like synchronicity, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and just like that, I take a lot of faith in that. Like, you know, just like meeting people at the right time where I get a good energy off of. You know, and that's yeah. how I made that event happen. And it was just a beautiful experience. We had like dance performance. I try to keep it a very holistic experience, you know? You see some art, you know, like, you have a drink, you watch dance performance, whatever else. It's very, like, you know, um, and, yeah, so, like, you know, you meet, I try to curate a very good crowd. So, like, you know, there's there's opportunity to network, and it's definitely worthwhile to network at my events. So, uh, I, I hope to have, like, a an event with uh, South Asian creatives. Uh, my, my show's running until March 1st, so, um, yeah, it's open to public, so you guys, you know, want to come pop in, let's say, Sunday, or, like, in an off time, you'd have to just contact me, but totally doable. But yeah, I do want to just like jam pack some more events in. I think I'm gonna have another one with Google, mm-hmm. another fundraiser, um, all sort of towards uh, save the children because like you know there's a lot of there's there's a quite I painted a few children in in my paintings and just just the misfortunate you know and I, I can't just paint people and not do anything for them you know yeah. like so um, and I'm trying to like you know sort of bridge that connect so like because people will spend a lot of money on art some people will do it. Uh, and feel guilty about it. But I want my artwork to be an accolade of change and I want people to feel proud about owning something that had a hand in helping someone else. So, yeah. I can't thank you enough for your time today. Uh, Not only did we get to hear about your story and your journey, but we got to learn about what's inspiring you to continue creating and continue unifying communities of creatives. 
Uh, clearly, we have a whole bunch of us from the office who use um, this interview as an opportunity for us to, you know, get out of the office and, and you know, grow through mm-hmm. art and, and through your work. I can't wait to see more of it today through our tour, and I can't wait to be back for some of the future events you have coming up. Before March 1st, are you on Instagram? Where yeah. can we find you if you want to uh, let us know where we can find you, Z? Yeah, the best way to find me, my website's under construction, so the best way to find me is Instagram. It's Zehanwazed, Z-E-E-H-A-N-W-A-Z-E-D. So, yeah. To all of our listeners and viewers at home, this has been a very, very special episode of Notre Grow podcast, art culture with Zihan Wazed. I mean, not only did I learn a lot, but I can hopefully speak on behalf of our team that it was a very, very enriching, fulfilling experience for us all for this visit. To all of our listeners and viewers at home, continue following your dreams. You know, don't let the naysayers get in the way. Take it from today's conversation to you know keep pushing forward. And until then, always remember to pay it forward, folks. Pay it forward.